Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the National Bank of Canada's Sport Quarter Results Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Ms. Linda Boulanger, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Ms. Boulanger. Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to National Bank Fourth Quarter and Full Fiscal Year 2020 presentation. Presenting this afternoon are Louis Vachon, President and CEO. Bill Bonnell, Chief Risk Officer, and Justin Parent, Chief Financial Officer. Following our presentation, we will open the call for questions. Also joining us for the Q&A session are Stéphane Achard and Lucie Blanchet, co-heads of PNC Banking, Martin Gagnon, Head of Wealth Management, Laurent Ferreira and Denis Giroir, co-heads of Financial Markets, and Jean Dagenet, Senior VP Finance. Before we begin, I refer you to slide two of our presentation, providing National Bank's caution regarding forward-looking statements. With that, let me now turn the call over to Louis Vachon. Merci, Linda, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Before discussing our results, I would like to say a few words on the extraordinary circumstances the world is facing and in which we have operated in 2020. From the onset of the pandemic, our focus has been on the well-being of our employees, our clients, and our communities. Our mission of putting people's first guided us in all our decisions. I am very proud of the way we adjusted. This would have not have been possible without the strong engagement of our employees and the transformation we have achieved over the past five years. Our entrepreneurial culture and the agility of our organization are true comparative advantage. They have played a key role in our ability to adapt and perform well through unprecedented circumstances. Earlier today, we reported strong results from the fourth quarter with EPS of $1.69, excluding special specified items, in line with the pre-pandemic levels. For the full fiscal year, our businesses performed very well with pre-tax pre-provision earnings up 9% compared to last year. Even after having set aside significant reserves uh, over the last three quarters, we have maintained robust capital levels. We also generated an industry-leading return of 16%, return on equity of 16% for the year, which speaks to the resilience of our franchise and the sound diversification of our earning stream. Returning capital to our shareholders remains a priority, but consistent with Aussie's guideline, buyback activities and dividend increases remain on pause. Earlier today, we declared a quarterly dividend of $0.71 per share on change from the previous quarter. Turning now to the performance of our business segment in fiscal 2020 and growth drivers going forward. I am pleased with our performance in personal and commercial banking with pre-tax pre-provision earnings holding steady year over year. This reflects solid growth on both sides of the balance sheet offset by lower interest rates and client activity. Our performance translated into market share gains in key product categories, namely mortgages and deposits. 
We also saw some pickup in commercial activity in the fourth quarter. The depth of our relationships, the quality of our advice, and the commitment and agility of our teams proved to be key differentiators, enabling us to support clients throughout the pandemic. We were pleased to see significant increase in client acquisition and satisfaction scores, which is strong testimony to the ability of our teams to provide the support and advice our clients need. The bank's digital transformation has been at the heart of our strategy over the past years. Accordingly, we were ready to support a major uptick in digital adoption rates, which went up nearly 500 basis points among our core client base. In many ways, the pandemic has effectively accelerated our digital transformation. In 2021, we will continue to invest in our PNC franchise to support future growth. We will maintain our focus on client acquisition and priority segments on offering proactive advice through both our Salesforce and digital channels and on deepening relationships with clients through all business lines. Since the beginning of the crisis, the bank has been very proactive in helping businesses. In the context of the ongoing economic recovery, we recently created the National Bank SME Growth Fund in partnership with the Quebec government. I am pleased to announce that we have just completed the initial raise of $200 million in capital. The equity fund will complement the bank financing already offered to SME owners to help them with their transfer of ownership, growth, and acquisition plans, whether in Quebec or elsewhere in Canada. Our wealth management franchise delivered another strong performance. We pre-tax, pre-provision earnings up 10% for the year. This reflects solid transaction volumes and net sales more than offsetting lower interest rates. Our advice first strategy is bearing fruit and resulted in a significant increase in our NPS scores this year. As we enter the new year in the context of persistent low interest rates, we remain confident we can generate future growth fueled by our active recruiting strategy enhance cross-selling initiatives with PNC and market growth. We are pleased with the strategic positioning of our wealth management franchise and the diversification it brings to the bank. In fiscal 2020, it represented 23% of revenues and generated superior return on equity. For its part, financial markets generated record revenues and pre-tax pre-provision growth of 25% for fiscal 2020. Our global markets franchise were well-positioned going to the crisis and delivered a particularly strong performance. Our corporate and investment banking franchise also performed well, driven by M&A and government debt issuance. Looking forward, our financial markets business remains well-positioned to continue to deliver growth, albeit at a slower pace against a record performance this year. Moving to our international segment. ABA Bank delivered solid results in fiscal 2020. Net income was up 50% from the prior year, driven by strong growth on both sides of the balance sheet. ABA continues to gain market share in Cambodia and is well positioned to benefit from the economic recovery anticipated in 2021. Credit G also performed well in the past year in the context of a challenging environment. We saw strong momentum in the fourth quarter with net income up nearly 40% sequentially and 84% over last year, 
driven by higher revenues and lower PCLs. Credigy's strong P&L performance and stable balance sheet reflects both asset quality and team's discipline. This morning, we announced the acquisition of the remaining 20% in Credigy, increasing our stake to 100%. For fiscal year 2020, the additional stake acquired in Credigy would have increased National Bank diluted EPS by $0.07. Cents. The senior members of Credigy's management team reiterated their personal commitment to leading the next stage of Credigy's growth strategy, as well as their confidence in the future prospects for the company. Credigy has greatly exceeded our returns expectations since our initial investment in 2006, and we continue to see attractive growth potential in the future. Overall, we are very satisfied with the performance of our international segment, which continues to be well-positioned to deliver strong growth next year. Looking ahead, while there continues to be uncertainty around the trajectory of the economic recovery, economic activity has recovered from its lows. In the province of Quebec, second-wave lockdown restrictions have been more targeted, and most sectors remain open. Overall, and given recent developments regarding the availability of an effective vaccine in Canada next year, we expect a gradual improvement of the Canadian and Quebec economy in 2021. Looking back at 2020, I am proud of the bank's overall performance. In a year marked by unprecedented uncertainty and volatility, the bank managed to meet four out of its five of its medium-term objectives. The strong performance has confirmed that we have made the right strategic choices in terms of risk management, capital allocation, and business mix. With four strong pillars, we are well positioned to maintain a sustainable pace of growth, and we are reiterating our medium-term objectives for 2021. In closing, I wish to sincerely thank our employees for their exceptional contributions to the success of the bank over the past year. Everyone across our organization deserves recognition for their dedication and flexibility. I would also like to thank our clients and shareholders for their confidence in the bank as we continue to build an agile bank, well-positioned to grow and create sustainable value to the benefits of all stakeholders. On that, I will now turn the call over to Bill Bonnet. Merci, Merci, Louis, and good afternoon, everyone. I'll begin on slide eight with a look back on the credit performance for the full year of 2020. We entered the crisis on solid footing with strong credit quality and a defensive positioning. Our resilient geographic footprint and product mix helped to deliver an impaired PCL ratio of just 23 basis points last year. During the year, considering the uncertain macroeconomic outlook, we proactively built prudent allowances, taking a total of 30 basis points of performing provisions. And we finished the year with 53 basis points of total provisions for credit losses. In the fourth quarter, impaired PCLs were $82 million, a decline of $6 million from last quarter, as wholesale and international stage three provisions declined and retail stage three provisions remained stable at low levels. Provisions on performing loans were $20 million, or five basis points, as we continue to build our performing allowances. Our updated macroeconomic scenarios are presented in Appendix 17. As you can see, the pessimistic case was adjusted to depict a scenario of unemployment rates remaining higher for longer, and the weight of this pessimistic scenario was increased. Even with those changes, 
Retail performing PCLs were negative $9 million, reflecting the continued strong performance in those portfolios. Non-retail performing provisions were $27 million, primarily reflecting the scenario change and some migration from stage two to stage three. Our international performing provision was $2 million, driven primarily by portfolio growth at ABA. Looking ahead to next year, significant uncertainty remains about the path and the speed of the economic recovery. We expect impaired provisions to increase throughout the year. In retail portfolios, the exceptional recent performance should normalize and impaired should begin to more closely follow employment trends. Non-retail impaired provisions should also increase during the year and, as you know, can be lumpy from quarter to quarter. Performing provisions should largely be driven by changes to macro scenarios, portfolio growth, and migration. Combining our view of these factors and our portfolio mix across geographies, products, and sectors, and considering the level of allowances we've already built, we're targeting a range in total PCLs of 25 to 35 basis points in 2021. Turning to slide nine, our allowances for credit losses grew to more than 1.3 billion in the fourth quarter, which is 75% higher than at the beginning of the pandemic. Performing allowances reached almost 1.1 billion, an 80% increase since Q1. The non-performing allowances as a percentage of gross impaired loans was stable at 43%. With all the information we have today, we are confident that we have a prudent level of allowances. On slide 10, we provide some key metrics to help assess the adequacy of our provisioning. Our strong performing EACL coverage was stable at 2.8 times, and our total allowance coverage of net charge-offs increased to 5.4 times. Absent a significant deterioration in our forward-looking scenarios, I expect that we're close to the peak in these coverage ratios. As impaired provisions increase over the next year and some stage two allowances migrate to stage three, I would expect these coverage ratios to be lower at the end of 2021. Turning to slide 11, our gross impaired loan ratio was stable at 49 basis points. Formations in retail and corporate banking declined, while formations in commercial banking increased due primarily to new formations in oil and gas and wholesale trade sectors. On slide 12, you'll find an update on our loans under deferral. As expected, deferral balances declined significantly, down by 81% in retail lending and by 74% in non-retail lending on a quarter-over-quarter basis. Deferrals in RESL now represent just 0.9% of that portfolio, and more than 40% of those are insured. Our payment experience to date has been positive with 98% of expired RESL deferrals and 99% of expired non-retail deferrals having restarted regular payments. The trend we saw last quarter of performance varying significantly across provinces continued with Quebec consumers showing the best payment rates. We will continue to work closely with those impacted clients to provide support through this difficult period. Turning to slide 13, the mix in our Canadian RESL portfolio remains stable, with 38% being insured and 55% being in the province of Quebec. Uninsured mortgages and HELOCs for condos represented 7.4% of the total portfolio, 
with the majority being in Quebec and with an average LTV of 59%. In the appendices, you'll find further information on our loan portfolio, including details on our exposure to COVID-impacted sectors, which remain modest and manageable. In conclusion, while there have been positive signs of ongoing improvement in employment and GDP, as well as recent optimistic news about vaccines, there remains much uncertainty to the path and speed of the economic recovery. We have been pleased with the performance of loan portfolios this year, but recognize that there is a long road ahead to return to pre-pandemic economic conditions. Given our portfolio's geographic, product, and sector mix, as well as our prudent level of provisioning, we remain very confident that we're well positioned to continue to support our clients throughout this period. On that, I will turn it over to Ghislain. Thank you, Bill, and good afternoon, everyone. Turning to page 15, we ended the fiscal 2020 with solid results in the fourth quarter, capping off another strong year for National Bank. Revenues were up 7% for the year, and we delivered solid operating leverage of 1.6%, demonstrating the resilience and diversification of our business mix. We were also very pleased with the positive year-over-year revenue and pre-tax pre-provision growth in the fourth quarter. The higher corporate expenses were linked to a year-end variable compensation adjustment associated with higher revenues, a one-off payment to a supplier, costs related to the pandemic, and higher investments in brand and technology. Despite the pandemic, we continued to move forward with our transformation in 2020 as we adapt to the changing needs of our customers and reinforce our culture of change and operational agility. In the fourth quarter, we took further measures to address the evolving needs of the bank as part of our ongoing transformation. First, we reassign employees to fill vacant positions based on their professional skills and reduce positions considered redundant in our current operating environment. This will allow us to limit headcount inflation in fiscal 2021. It resulted in $48 million of severance costs. As second measure, we also wrote off $71 million in technology assets no longer useful to the bank's business. Both items were reported as special items in the fourth quarter results as they were related to our transformation and will result in ongoing operational efficiencies. These measures are expected to generate pre-tax savings of approximately $43 million in fiscal 2021, or $50 million on a fully annualized basis. The entire management team remains highly committed to maintaining our long-standing discipline approach to cost management. We also remain fully committed to the transformation of the bank as we continue to invest in our business to support the bank's sustainable growth. In fiscal 2021, our main focus will be on enhancing client experience, supporting new business initiatives, and simplifying our systems and processes. In the current context, we are confident that we can achieve positive pre-tax pre-provision earnings growth in fiscal 2021. Our scenarios also suggest positive operating leverage is achievable in 2021 
depending on the level of revenue growth. The team is committed to achieving good revenue growth despite the context of significant economic uncertainty. The first part of 2021 will provide more insight. Now turning to capital on page 16. We ended the fourth quarter with a strong CT1 ratio of 11.8%, a 35 basis points from last quarter. Growth in credit risk-weighted assets was offset by a reduction in market risk from lower VAR, resulting in flat risk-weighted assets quarter over quarter. In the quarter, our CD1 ratio was negatively impacted by 20 basis points due to credit risk-weighted asset as a result of the combined effect of two items. First, continued asset growth in each of our business segments, which reduced CT1 by 10 basis points. Second, Net negative migration reduced CT1 by 10 basis points, mainly driven by the re-rating of wholesale borrowers in COVID-impacted industries, partly offset by improved credit scores from retail clients. In fiscal 2021, the the regulatory scaler for ECL relief will decrease from 70% to 50%. Based on our current expectations, we anticipate the change will have a negative impact of seven basis points on our CT1 ratio in the first quarter of fiscal 2021. Now turning to page 17, our LCR remains strong at 161% with continued growth in deposits in the fourth quarter. Our total capital ratio stood at a solid 16% at the end of the fourth quarter. In conclusion, the bank ended fiscal 2020 in a solid position, with a strong balance sheet, significant reserves, and diversified revenue growth levers, our franchise is well positioned to generate attractive growth in 2021. With that, I'll turn the call back to the operator for the Q&A. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone line. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. If at any time you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. We thank you for your patience. Our first question is from John Aiken from Barclays. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. A couple questions on G, if I may. Um, Louis, in terms of the uh, the transaction, uh, first off, is there any um, contracts being put in place to make sure that the current management team stays on uh, for an extended period of time? And secondly, can we assume that the uh, transaction is being funded by cash and not issuance of additional shares? Uh, so on the second part, it is uh, funded by cash, so there's no there's no issuance of shares. And uh, on uh, on the first part, uh, the, your question, uh, the team I think remains uh, the senior management team remains very committed. They have committed to uh, to us and to their colleagues uh, today that they are staying on for many more years. Uh, they already have uh, incentive plans in place. But as you know, we've been working with these guys now for uh, 14 years. 
and from everything we see, they remain fully committed to the business going forward. So we don't have any concern, uh, John, on that particular part for credit going forward. And on top of that, our bank strength of that team has uh, obviously over the last five, ten years, we brought on a, a new generation of managers also. So, A, I think we, we, we expect to keep the founders on board for uh, many years to come. And secondly, we have, uh, we have a, a good team surrounding them now. So, all good. That's good to hear. And if I may follow on in terms of the performance of Credit G this quarter, I know you guys look at year over year, but looking at this thing on a sequential growth basis, very strong growth in, uh, in revenues, and yet uh, we actually saw a decline in the average loans and receivables Q4 over Q3. Um, is there anything in terms of additional revenues that Credit G earned this quarter that you can explain for that? And then by, by definition, does this mean that we would expect uh, headwinds to revenue uh, coming into the first quarter of next year. Uh, Jean, do you have the explanation for that? Yeah, a portion of it is due to volume. You're showing your average volume, but during the quarter, there was a higher volume at some time. And also, there's mark-to-market of some of the portfolio that are booking revenue, like reverse mortgage and other type of portfolio. And they were uh, downgraded in previous quarter and upgraded in the fourth quarter. So altogether, it, it helped the business. Thanks for that, Jean. I'll, uh, I'll recue. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Manny Groman from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Just wondering how big a headwind do you think uh, trading uh, will be uh, in the coming year? Uh, definitely a very strong year uh, in 2020. And, and how important uh, will that be in terms of uh, your guidance on uh, PTPP uh, next year? Uh, uh, Laurent, we'll start on the on the first part. Sure. And thank you for your question. Um, yes, 2020 uh, was an exceptional year, uh, driven a lot by uh, trading uh, volumes. Um, so going forward, uh, we're still very positive, but we expect obviously lower growth, and specifically in trading. Um, now, having said that, and, and based on also the, the good momentum that we've had in the second half of the year, um, <clears throat> we, um, we think there is some potential growth in 2021. And there are a couple of sectors that we're, we're confident about. There's fixed income and public finance that has done quite well for us this year, and we remain quite optimistic about it uh, in 2021. Our structured product business as well. Um, <clears throat> we also expect a pickup in uh, securities finance. Um, we saw a reduction over the past uh, six months, but we're seeing a pickup right now with markets. And the M&A market is, um, is, is really picking up. So we're seeing positive momentum there. So that drives acquisition finance as well. So um, yes, it, you know, headwinds, but um, remaining positive. And then just as a follow-up, more, more generally on the guidance on uh, PTPP, you talk about positive, but, uh, but no um, other sort of uh, numerical guidance. Uh, you know, relative to the 9% you put up in 2020, is there any more you can give us? Like, what are, the, what are the key factors here? I know there's a lot of uncertainty, but if you had to pinpoint sort of key variables that uh, would kind of push up that number, what are the more realistic uh, areas where you think maybe – uh, you could uh, drive better uh, PTPP uh, results in 21. Uh, 
Uh, my name is Louis. I think the, um, the way we look at it, we, we see revenue revenue growth as the main delta here. Not, you know, I think we've remained uh, very uh, disciplined in terms of expenses. But when we look at different scenarios going forward, the delta in the scenarios is all about uh, for for the PTPP is, is around uh, is around revenue growth, not not expenses. Uh, so um, uh, the good news is I think we're going into 2021 with very good momentum in uh, all our business lines. So um, what gives us comfort of, uh, of being positive PTPP uh, for 2021 is the momentum of PNC that you've seen, uh, continue very good momentum in wealth management, continue very strong momentum in international. And then uh, in, in capital markets, well, you know, uh, maybe not strong growth compared to 2020, but I think we, you know, uh, you know low, low single-digit growth uh, compared to uh, 2020, I think we'll be uh, happy with that. So that's why I think we're, you know, we're not going to give you additional, just having a, a positive sign on PTPP, I think is going to be uh, good news for, uh, for, for us, frankly, and uh, for the rest, we'll see how it goes. And then the other big delta that uh, uh, we want to talk about is PCLs, obviously, and, you know, Bill, will, I'm sure we'll get questions about that. So revenues, in all our scenarios, revenue growth and uh, assumptions around PCLs are the main point of differentiation between the scenarios, not revenue growth, uh, not expense growth, sorry. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you. A following question is from Doug Young from Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Maybe just to start with PNC Banking, NIMS 2.19%. Um, you know, the sequential increase was, was, was quite nice. I'm just wondering if there's anything unusual in there. Is that repeatable? Just hoping you can unpack what actually drove the sequential increase in NIMS and, and what, what's the outlook for NIMS as you kind of peer into fiscal 21? Uh, yes. yes, thank you for the question. So uh, our margin have hold quite good in the current environment, I would say. Um, the negative impact of the yield curve was offset by better spread on the repricing of the loan book on a sequential basis. Um, and on the outlook, I would say that we've been successful at growing our balance sheet while being disciplined on pricing, and we will maintain that. Uh, we will also continue to evolve our pricing methodology, like, for example, we introduced AI-based modeling in the pricing of the mortgages, so we will continue to refine that and evolve that to other products. But that being said, we expect a bit of pressure coming from the low interest rate environment and also the slowdown we expect in the deposit growth, mainly in the second half of the year. Perfect. Thank you. And then just on... I noticed in capital markets, uh, the mix ratio, 37.2%, and I know this is just a quarter and not an annualized basis, but I'll throw it out there. Is this a new run rate for the division? Um, does this factor in some of the cost saves that you've got from, from the severance, or, or is this just a claw back in the quarter and we should be looking at something a little bit higher as we kind of peer out over the next few years? So, Doug, this is Laurent. We've always targeted uh, low 40s. Uh, from from quarter to quarter, you're, you're going to see some movement, uh, you know, because of higher revenues or uh, or uh, um, you know a reduction or uh, in expenses. Um, but in in the case of Q4, what we did is we um, um, we reduced expenses 
specifically on comp, uh, and uh, that was for uh, to address uh, realized loan losses. So it is just a, a one-time item for the quarter. Okay. And then just lastly, um, a 25 to 35 basis point PCL total fiscal 21, does that factor in releases on performing loan ACLs through the year? Can you maybe unpack a little bit more of what's, what's behind that 25 to 35 basis points? Uh, thanks. Yeah, sure, Doug. Thanks, thanks for the question. It's Bill. So, you know, looking ahead to 2021, I think you've heard us mention a uh, high level of uncertainty. Uh, however, what gave me, gives me confidence in talking about that, uh, that target range is a, few, is a few factors. One is really understanding our positioning, you know, geographic product, business mix, and the discipline underwriting we had before the downturn. And uh, uh, now we have more history on the performance of the expired deferrals. Um, the, we've, uh, our deferrals uh, expired more rapidly, I think, than some peers. So we now have uh, good experience and understanding of the geographical differences in performance and, and product differences. I think, uh, too, uh, uh, our modest exposure in COVID sectors and seeing how they performed uh, through the year has helped give us some clarity. And as well, this quarter we made our pessimistic uh, scenario even more pessimistic uh, and increased the weight of that scenario. So we have, uh, um, we think that the, the, the pessimistic scenario really does uh, account for uh, you know the dark uh, potential path of uh, of the recovery, and uh, uh, finally, really understanding the size of the allowance that we've built so far, which should help us be able to absorb some of the the growth, and if there is uh, more migration than uh, than expected, so that's kind of what's behind uh, our thinking and setting that target range. And as for you know the path during the year, we do expect impairments to increase uh, uh, throughout the year and probably more in the back half. And the as impairments increase, there's a natural uh, migration of stage two allowances into stage three. Does that answer your question, Doug? It does. I guess I've said on migration. I mean, does this factor in you know uh, you know in the IFRS nine models as you look out in Q3? Um, and you start to see a bit of an improvement in the economic outlook, and you have to bring down your or you would bring down your stage three, uh, sorry, stage one and stage two allowances. Is that factored into this, or is this just a normal migration between one, two, and three, and it's not factoring in your forward-looking indicators being adjusted? Yeah, I would say the uh, a change in our forward-looking um, view during the year would be an, uh, an additional change into the certainly would uh, it would generate some releases if the forward-looking view was was much more positive than the, the our base case or the weight that we have now and the, the mixed uh, the mixed scenario so the the 25 to 35 is pretty broad i think uh, as we go through into next quarter maybe in three months on this call some of the uncertainty will be down and we'll be able to give you a little more uh, guidance on where we think in that that range uh, will end up, but as of now, it's uh, you know, given the level of uncertainty. I think that's a pretty good range. Great, I appreciate the insight. Thank you, Doug. It's Louis. So just to, to I think as, as Bill mentioned, in an ideal world, uh, you know, we don't live in an ideal world, but ideally, we want to grow the book, you know, our loan book into the stage one, stage two uh, reserves that we have. 
and uh, as opposed to releasing them, uh, you know, over a quarter or two or three. So uh, that's why the 25 to 35 does not include uh, uh, scenarios of releases. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> a following question is from Lamar Persaud from Cormac Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, so when you're talking about the momentum in P&C, is, is expense savings a, a part of it? Like where I'm going with this is when I look at the sub-pack, branches in Canada have declined for the past five quarters. Is the strong digital adoption the catalyst to revisit your branch strategy, perhaps shifting to smaller uh, branch footprints or uh, accelerating the uh, rationalization? Uh, Lucy, want to take that one? Yes. Yeah, so we talked in previous call um, on our uh, on the efficiencies that we generated in 2020, coming from the distribution network, and also from the resizing of our of our branch footprint. So actually, we are we've been right-sizing in some urban markets on our, with our branches, where we had a more redundant location, but that didn't change our branch share. So uh, we had a plan from 18 to 21, and we've been executing on, on that plan. So that's, that's what you see there. And, uh, of course, I think the, uh, the digital adoption is a lever for us to continue to improve um, on efficiency. Uh, the, I think the pandemic gave us the opportunity to increase the percentage of digital adoption in our customer base, uh, so our intent is to um, take the full potential of those opportunities, but also reinvest part of these gains into revenue-generating activities, um, you know, to make sure that we invest, reinvest in our growth for the future. So th that's kind of the plan at a very high level. Okay, so then we won't see, like, an acceleration. Like, specifically, if I look at Q3 2020, 409, and then down to 403 and Q4, we're not going to see it like go to like something like 15 branches a quarter, that sort of thing. No, no. Overall, in 2020, I think we're we're up to 19, um, and through that, we also have a couple of openings in some very specific areas. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Nigel D'Souza from Veritas Investment. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon. I wanted to turn to your um, macroeconomic forecast for 2021. And if I could touch on your expectations for a decline in the uh, housing price index next year, I was hoping you could expand on what you see as drivers for that decline. And uh, is it fair to say that, you know, the read-through here is you expect mortgage growth to soften a bit going forward and, and lower demand for, uh, for real estate to play out over the next few quarters. Hi, Nigel. It's Bill. I'll, I'll start, and then I think Lucy can comment on expectations for mortgages. So I, I think overall when you look at the macroeconomic scenarios, the takeaway is that they're, they're prudent. Um, uh, we were pleasantly surprised by the performance in house prices so far during the pandemic. Um, Although in our, our, our forecast, particularly in the pessimistic case, we, we don't assume uh, uh, a strength in the housing market. Um, but uh, the, I think for the macroeconomic scenarios and that which goes into generating our allowances, you can consider those, uh, those, that scenario quite prudent. Lucy, do you want to talk about look, looking forward for the mortgage growth? Sure. 
but just before uh, going into the outlook on mortgages, I, I think we had a, an excellent ex execution on mortgage in uh, 2020. So we had originations hit uh, historical levels coming from the performance of our distribution channel, and we've been able to improve the margins, like, like I just said. And at the same time, we absorb more volume while decreasing our operational costs. So we really start 2021 with that strong momentum. Uh, we expect we will grow slightly lower than what we've achieved in 2020. Um, and I think demand will still continue to be stimulated. However, uh, we expect some slowdown in the resale market um, due to the slowdown in immigration, but also the concern around the supply uh, potentially across the country. So this is uh, kind of what we expect for next year. Okay, and just to clarify, you, do you expect the dynamics to be consistent and uh, play out in Quebec as well, or is that more so a national outlook? The national outlook. Okay, thanks for the call. Thank you. The following question is from Mario Mendonca from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Good afternoon. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes, we can hear you, Mario. Right. Thank you. Um, I want to go back to a, an answer to a, a question that caught me a little off guard. It was with response to trading revenue. Uh, trading revenue was up about 23% year over year in 2020, a, a, a good year. Did I hear you correctly in suggesting that you see avenues of growth that could, where you can actually grow that still further in 2021? Or were you referring to capital markets earnings when you made the reference to growth in 2021? We were talking about capital markets as a whole. Uh, I think we have a, as a greater level of confidence at a capital markets uh, level as a whole, Mario. Right. Trading, you know, trading, as you know, it's question mark. You know, it's, it's you know, Q2 was, a, was an unbelievable quarter. So it's, it's, it's going to be, a, you know, it's a hump for, uh, for 2021, no doubt. But that being said, Mario, none of us know how an economy uh, you know, transitions out of a pandemic. So um, that's why also we may be surprised with the level of volatility and volume. So that's why it's, uh, it's, it's a question mark, uh, you know, around trading. It's not an exclamation mark. But uh, the other avenues that we see, the M&A pipeline is extremely strong. Um, underwriting on the bond side and uh, even on the equity side has been very good year to date. So um, let's just hope for the best. Sure. And when you're referring to growth in capital markets, you're referring to earnings, not, not revenue again. I just want to – I don't want to put too fine a point in it, but I want to make sure I understand what you're suggesting. That, that is correct. Talking about earnings. So, you okay. know, you, you know, you know and I, we, we, we went through that in, uh, in uh, 2009, 2010, if you recall. You were there at that time. And um, so, uh, uh, you know, I think it's – you know, we did it then. I think we can do it again you know, small increase year to year. Now, just real quickly on expenses. Expenses were somewhat elevated this year, all for very good reasons. Uh, I mean, they, they track the revenue growth, obviously positive operating leverage. When you think about expenses in 2021, uh, and I, I know your operating leverage target is, is far more leveraged to revenue than it is expenses, but what do you contemplate for expense growth in 2021? Is it is it conceivable that you could fall back to the expense growth we saw more like 2019 when it was lower than what we saw in 20? Uh, listen, it will depend on how uh, things evolve. We, I think as a team, as you know, Mario, we, we've shown agility in the past of, uh, of uh, uh, 
you know, maintaining and uh, discipline on the costs. Ideally, uh, I would say, I think where we're at today, I think we're being disciplined on the cost side, but hopefully if we continue to see good momentum on the revenue side uh, going into Q1 and Q2, I think that's where we rather focus as a franchise as opposed to uh, cutting expenses at, at uh, you know, at, uh, uh, at all, you know, at, uh, uh, you know, for any scenarios. So I think that's where we're at um, going in, and that's why the, the up-leverage scenario will depend on revenue growth, because I think we're, you know, I think uh, we're looking pretty much at low single-digit uh, increases in, uh, in expenses in 2021, so the, the delta will be whatever the revenue growth is around that. That makes sense. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. A following question is from Scott Chan from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon. Um, my question is on international, Louis, and, and, and I think uh, during the start of the pandemic, you were you were pretty cautiously optimistic on, on the earnings traction this year, and you kind of fast forward, and the international segment delivered um, similar earnings growth than, uh, than fiscal 2019, I think around 25%. So when you look out into fiscal 2021, as economies improve, is there drivers of the business to kind of maintain that profitability going forward? Well, uh, let's start with one. The first driver is uh, Credit G and, and, and the portfolio growth. So what's interesting is they've managed to grow their portfolio, as John mentioned earlier, uh, in Q3 and Q4. So we already have, you know, the growth in the portfolio uh, that was done in 2020, acting as a, you know, as a, uh, as a catalyst or uh, uh, to help uh, grow our, our businesses in 2021. So I think for, uh, uh, for Credit G, I think we have uh, a relatively good level of, uh, of comfort uh, around their growth uh, prospect for 2021. For ABA, uh, it's uh, what's been a, a uh, frankly, uh, uh, a positive surprise for us is the extent to which their digital solution um, has brought a gain in market share over the last six months in in, uh, in Cambodia. So as everybody moved to uh, less physical to more digital types of payments, uh, their client acquisition has accelerated. And also the adoption of their payment uh, solutions has also accelerated. So uh, that's uh, very interesting. Now the, the the question mark there for uh, for the earnings of uh, ABA is uh, you know how long is the pandemic uh, going to last? It's impacting uh, negatively the uh, the tourist industry in Cambodia. The good news is manufacturing, agriculture, and construction remains quite strong. That's why we've continued to grow our our loan books. So uh, you know, but I think that's why overall I think. Uh, you know, in a, we, we should, uh, if we don't have uh, double-digit revenue growth for international in 2021, I think we'll, we'll be disappointed as a team. That's fair. And just lastly, um, you know, before the pandemic, you, you kind of talked about unwinding some of the non-core um, investments in Mongolia, Mauritius, and, and Ivory Coast. I'm wondering if there's an update there uh, on that front as, uh, as, the, uh, as things just seem to be looking a bit better heading into 2021. Uh, nothing to report, uh, Scott. I, I think it's, uh, you know, the pandemic is not an ideal environment to monetize that type of assets. So it's probably been delayed for, for a little while because of the pandemic. 
Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our following question is from Saurabh Movahedi from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Okay. Thank you. Um, maybe I'll go to Louis, but uh, but maybe the business heads want to chime in as well. Louis, you said something I thought uh, kind of interesting. Uh, uh, the allowances are pretty healthy and you'd rather grow the loan book to grow into them as opposed to release the reserves. And uh, I think that makes sense. Obviously, you were very careful with your volume growth pre-pandemic. I'm just curious to understand, for example, in capital markets, do you think part of the growth will have to come from from more balance sheet intensive businesses next year? Or uh, where, you know, where do you see risk taking, if you will, on loan, loan growth to grow into those reserves that you're talking about? How important is that going to be? And what sort of implications could that have on RWA? Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll start. And, uh, you know, if, I, uh, if I'm not making sense, uh, my colleagues will step in. <laughs> Uh, the, uh, I think where we see right now, well, let's start with retail. I think we, we have good momentum with, uh, with mortgages going to the year. Uh, you saw that that Q4, uh, our friends, uh, Stefan in commercial and his team had pretty good momentum on commercial. We're hopeful that sometimes during 2021, the, uh, usage of credit by uh, small, medium-sized businesses will start growing again. Uh, we're quite active on, on real estate right now, uh, industrial and, uh, and uh, CMHC-insured uh, residential housing. And then uh, capital markets, I would say uh, balance sheet, uh, yes. I think uh, uh, the main thing there could be the M&A pipeline. I think that's where over you know, a six to 12 months period, you could see an increase, a significant increase it could come from a very busy M&A pipeline, which appears to be the case right now. But as you know, that can be that can be uh, very fickle. So those are the what we see going into the new year. You know, three and a half weeks, uh, four weeks into the new year, what we see as potential driver to grow the balance sheet in uh, 2021. And, and so, just to be crystal clear, Louis, the the M&A pipeline capital markets, this would be what. Uh, Providing acquisition financing, for example, that is correct. And and same thing, by the way, in commercial. I think people underestimate, uh, you know, the level at which M&A and ownership transfer can play an important role in growing the commercial loan book, particularly for uh, non-real estate, uh, the non-real estate category. And and is there any? Is I mean, w- would this cause the the RWA to grow faster than the loan growth? Is, is it possible the riskiness of this relative to the kind of the back book, if you will? Probably not. I'm looking at Bill or Stefan. I don't think there'll be a, a big change there. But if we have slightly higher or faster growth in the loan book, then that's why, you know, that's, that is a scenario. And that's maybe, a, you know, a bit more optimistic scenario. But under that scenario, we would not release, uh, you know, model-driven stage one, stage two. We would just, as I say, grow our RWA into those reserves. I, I, uh, Stefan, I, I think it'll be uh, so. Ad, I think it'll be particularly wouldn't be the case because um, as we venture into uh, commercial markets, 
We're going to be also have the impact of our real estate multi-residential strategy, which is largely insured, like we mentioned, thus minimizing the impact on risk-weighted assets. And, and, and I, this is Louis requiring you to even look further into your crystal ball, I guess. But when you think about this mix of volume growth, it, it, can you can you quantify what sort of uh, what sort of spread you would you would be generating on these types of activities, or what you hope to be generating, or what you would be targeting to generate on these things? Uh, I think you know when I look at this crystal ball, I just see my face reflecting into it right now. It's not Fair a enough. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. No, but I mean, I think like Lucy mentioned that, for example, mortgages are coming, you know, coming on. Uh, at about three basis points better spread than those that are rolling off. I'm just trying to kind of get a feel for is this is this reason to feel optimistic about margins at the at the old bank level, non-trading margins at the old bank level as well. I think the the issue, Sarab, is is competitive behavior in the market, and that that's what makes it you know more difficult to to give you guidance on because I just don't know uh, you know hopefully in an environment where the economy is improving what will be, you know, the, the, the competitive behavior in the market. Thank you. Uh, operator, do we have another question? We do have a question from Darko Milik from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you. I apologize. Thank you. Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, Darko, now. Thank you. Uh, I apologize. I'm going to dive into the weeds here a little bit with a few of my questions. Uh, I also wanted to revisit the idea of momentum. And so my first place that I wanted to dive into for my model was wealth management. Um, when I look at the revenue picture, especially with what's occurred over 2020, I see net interest margin compression. Um, and I'm not sure that rates change much, so I, I don't know that picture. By the way, you should probably talk to Treasury and your funds transfer pricing. You're being penalized for, for growing deposits and assets. But anyway, um, uh, I also see, uh, you know, you had really strong transactions and other revenue in the year. Um, that could be fleeting just like financial markets trading could be. And then when I think of the fee-based revenues, I think of stronger equity markets. And so as I sit back and as I think about revenues for the wealth business, um, you know, 6% was a, a very strong showing, uh, but I don't see any of the pressures going away on net interest income, and it'd be hard to re reproduce transaction kind of revenue. So is, is revenue growth a, a low single-digit, a reasonable um, – number for, for the wealth business in 2021? So uh, Martin, will, uh, Martin is very happy that he has a question, so he's, uh, he's keen to answer, Darko. <laughs> Thank, <Sure. laughs> Thank you, Darko. Uh, we, uh, I, I believe you need to look at some of the trends that we had in 2020 to uh, give you an idea of what's going on. And, and if you look at AUA and AUM growth, we, uh, we did really well and, and clearly above the industry. And, and I think that shows uh, the strength of the franchise and the fact that we have a diversified uh, business model. 
and we were able to compensate for a lower net interest income in 2020. Now, looking at 2021, um, we uh, had uh, um, a record number of uh, new IAs at NBF, a very, very strong uh, recruiting uh, in 2020, which is not reflected in the numbers yet. Uh, we uh, have a strong pipeline at NBIN. Uh, we um, also have invested a lot in our private banking franchise. Uh, there's uh, new cross-selling initiatives. All of this to say that, you know, of course, if you annualize lower interest rates, which we have in our forecast for 2021, uh, the impact on NII is the same. But uh, we uh, are forecasting still strong AUA, AUM growth. We um, also have um, – we don't have – hard numbers to prove this, but we believe we've gained market share in uh, trading uh, revenue, in commission revenues, and so this is also going to be strong um, for uh, 2021, and we believe growth in uh, fee base uh, to be above uh, market, uh, market growth, again, related to AUA and AUM growth. So we're confident. So, so a 6% kind of revenue run rate is, is conceivable? Is that or am I putting words in your mouth? <laughs> we're, um, you know, we're going to work really hard to put up the best numbers we can. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I always try and overstep my bounds. And a question on, on mortgages as well. To what extent um, are, are you thinking about more sort of mortgage acquisitions in, in, in 2021? Or is that, activity, um, is, is that activity expected to slow down? Uh, are you talking, sorry, uh, uh, Darko, you're talking about new, uh, you're not talking making uh, strategic acquisitions, you're talking about uh, new client acquisition, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lucie, uh, I think we remain quite, uh, I think that's a market we like and uh, we want to continue to grow in that market, Lucie? Yes, of course, because uh, for us, the mortgage product is an anchor product also with, for the whole banking relationship. And uh, we've seen quite good results on, uh, you know, on customer engagement on that front. So it is an anchor strategy for us to continue to grow for sure. Okay, fair enough. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. A following question is from Mike Rizvanovic from Credit Suisse Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, question probably best for Lucy. I uh, just wanted to touch on the tech-related spending and just being the smallest bank of the big six. I know we've, we've had discussions on this in the past. Uh, it doesn't seem that there's anything in your numbers to suggest that you're disadvantaged by any means, but I'm just thinking given what we've seen is, is a bit of, a, I guess, a step function in the push toward digitization because of COVID, do you see any, any gaps that you maybe need to fill? Are you, are you still confident that you're very well positioned in terms of your capabilities versus your bigger peers? Uh, I would say we're very confident of our capabilities versus our peers. Um, and when I look at the numbers, some of the really leading indicators we look at is, is really the digital adoption. And uh, COVID has given us uh, um, leapfrog in terms of progression. And obviously with that, comes from come the improvement in the customer experience, but it comes also with the automation and digitalization of our process. So, uh, like I said, we really want, we really intend to make the benefit of those gains um, 
at all, uh, you know, in every areas of the business that we can. And I think also from a cultural perspective, the fact that we are smaller gives us an advantage in being agile into implementing the changes. Like, for example, this year we had a plan to re we have a plan along with the right sizing of our branches, we have a plan to repurpose our branches more towards advice. And uh, so we had a plan with that. We saw that COVID could accelerate our plan, and this is exactly what we did. So at this point, we, are, we have 25% of our network that is repurposed, and we see positive KPIs on all fronts, even with the um, increase in digital, digital adoption in those, in those branches. So, so I think we've been able to show that we, we have been quite agile um, with the opportunities that COVID brings us. Okay, so thanks for that color on the repurposing, but what about branch closures? So just given the big sort of step function that or step move that we've had here on digitization, like like why not be a bit more aggressive on your your thought process on maybe closing branches? I'm assuming Canadians would probably be a lot more prepared for that today than a year ago. Um, is that something you can comment on? And, and maybe you can touch on any sort of uh, hindrance to that potential strategy, whether it's the optics around it or government interference or, or in any type of hindrance that you, you think could maybe um, pull that back? Yeah, uh, so I would say uh, right off the gate that I think that we are probably the, the most aggressive on that front compared to our peers right now. So uh, that's, that's one thing. Um, our plan is really aligned with the behaviors of our customers. So that's the, that's the, the piece for me that, that is really important. Uh, we need to go at the pace that the customer want to change their behavior, and we don't want to push them out, out, out of our branches. So I, I would say it's really that is probably more of a driver than anything related to regulation. But we're quite, um, I'd say, happy with the, the pace and the cadence that we have so far. And uh, like, like we mentioned maybe in the past through that, we also want to reallocate our capacity um, into more advice-based roles, more than in transactional roles. And in between that, we also um, reduce the square footage of our branches. So without necessarily closing a, a point of sale, reducing it uh, gives us also the benefits. So that's kind of where, we, where we're heading. Great, thanks very much for the caller. Appreciate it. Thank you. Once again, please press star one at this time for any questions or comments. The following question is from Gabriel Deschain from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon. Figured I'd throw a couple in there. Um, also, uh, sticking to the mortgage theme here or topic, a lot of people are going to be renewing mortgages in the next year, a few years anyway, if rates hold the, the way they are and having a lot of extra spending money, um, you know, saving 50 to 100 basis points on their, their mortgages. Like, is there a strategy in place, or is there anything that you think you can do to kind of, you know, translate those household savings into, uh, you know, some sort of growth opportunity for the retail business? And then I got to follow up on uh, commercial. Yeah. So on the first part of your question, uh, Gabriel, it's 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 really what we are doing right now. So repurposing our branches more towards advice is exactly that. So going, you know, um, over and above just a discussion with a customer on renewing a mortgage uh, to, you know, going in in-depth discussion about what's their financial goal and how we can help them achieve 
um, what the what the you know what the target is exactly what we're doing uh, everywhere in our branch network right now. So yes, definitely we want to take uh, all opportunities that we have on that front. I guess that would be a easy or easy enough cross sell to the wealth business. Um, the commercial question, well, it's more a, well, like a, a kind of surprised. I saw the two percent sequential growth in in commercial. I, I suppose that's somewhat tied to Quebec having reopened a bit more quickly over the summer. Uh, wondering how you see commercial lending evolve over the next year. I know any forecast is tough these days, but it's typically a, a later cycle kind of growth driver. That's certainly what we saw before COVID. Uh, or if you're seeing you know, opportunities that you may have shied away from before COVID that are now more attractive from a, you know, risk-reward standpoint. So, Gabriel, on the, on the first part, uh, certainly the, the 2% Q over Q uh, is partly due to the rebound of, of the, you know, large closures we had in Quebec in the, in the spring, but it's also the, reflecting the fact that the, the economy here is quite resilient. There's quite of a... Louis has mentioned quite a bit of activity on the construction side. Infrastructure projects are still going on. And, and what I feel and what we feel we hear from for business owners is uh, mm -hmm. uh, business confidence remains strong, uh, quite stronger than we'd be led to think despite the pandemic. So um, there's plenty of an M&A activity. So there's, um, yes, there's the opportunity of re reverting back to a pre-COVID uh, pre numbers. But, I mean, the uncertainty in front of us will, uh, will dictate where we land as far as that goes. As far as new sectors are, are concerned, we're sticking to our strategy, and that also entails, you know, moving our specialty banking, which is a large portion of our growth outside of Quebec. And we've done so with success in the past, and there's plenty of opportunities in the tech, agri, and food uh, ag business as well as real estate, and, uh, and particularly on the insurance side. And that insurance side on the... Uh, the real estate is perhaps the one area which has uh, accelerated uh, substantially since the, the COVID environment. So I hope that answers the question. Uh, it, it does. Okay, thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Mario Mendonca from TD Securities. Please go ahead. My question was asked and answered. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we have no further questions registered at this time. I would now like to turn the meeting back over to Mr. Vachon. Please go ahead. Thank you, everyone, for uh, listening to the call, and uh, happy holidays, and stay safe, and we'll be talking to you for the uh, first quarter uh, results in, uh, in February. Have a good day. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.